0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Ethics in football, we dug
0: ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast.
1: Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast, part of the Armchair Media Network. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippey. Uh, Rippey, it's to our understanding that you um, you have a little bit of interest in this Bills-Titans game going on
2: right now. It was very important for a number of uh, reasons, and I'm a Titans fan. So like this was either going to be the greatest night ever Or I probably was just not going to record this and go jump in the pool with like a weight attached to me or something. (laughs) There was a pool like right outside my balcony. I'm on like the bottom row here. And uh, those are really the only two options. I haven't even put sheets on my bed yet uh, just because I wasn't fully prepared to go to sleep. Tighten up, folks. I'm sure that you could find
3: a strength coach somewhere in this country that would, would say that jumping into a pool with a weighted vest is a character builder or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can find one. He's the special teams coach at Georgia right now.
3: Yeah, so Rippy, you put that thing on TikTok and you might be playing on Saturday.
2: Hell yeah. Until I tell him I'm five, six soaking, I know, 145 soaking wet.
3: I I think that might be competent enough to return punts for us the way we've been doing it recently.
2: The way they have strength and conditioning coaches now, I'm not sure that'd cut it for a kicker. Never mind, I can't kick for shit, but I would be like the smallest kicker in D1 football.
3: I would get hip dysplasia within, I mean, maybe maybe like a workout and a half of trying to uh, become a college football kicker.
1: Yeah, Andrew, it's, it'll be very inspiring if you actually play D1 as the first man with Marfan syndrome to start out of D1 school.
2: <laughs> we're going to be yeah. –
3: rep- we're, we're an oppressed people that will be represented.
2: The tall white male. That <laughs> was we, one of the most oppressed I've ever been. Just about just my physical stature was I did a kicker story one time, or maybe as a punter story. It's Australian guy, Will Gleeson, the guy before Mac Brown, and I'm he's a great interview, and I was interviewing, and I'm standing next to him, and he's like 6'1 on the college weight program. And I'm sitting there like, motherfucker, this guy's yoke too. And like he looked pretty <laughs> on fit. <the>, like, <laughs> yeah. I have no hope in anything.
3: Dude, I followed Thomas Morstead on uh, the Saints Punter on Instagram. And he's did his, I mean, he's like 6'4, 230. He's fucking ridiculous. But in the in his offseason workouts, he's doing like those dumbbell dips with like an 80-pound, uh, like, dumbbell uh, surgically attached to his, his waist somehow. It's fucking ludicrous. It's it's
2: depressing. Yeah.
3: the uh, Something that I do want to talk about before we talk about anything college football related is uh, what the fuck is going on with Michael Thomas if we're going to just bring up the Saints anyways? Uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just from... I think Michael Thomas is an extremely cool athlete. I've gone on the record many times in saying that him representing New Orleans is infinitely um, better than someone like Drew Brees representing the city. But I, I, I from what I heard, it was it, it was reported that he got into um, an altercation with Chauncey Gardner Johnson at practice. who so I guess is going by CD Deuce now. I think he's trying to go through a legal name change, but. Uh then we got a report that Malcolm Jenkins started calling him like slant bitch or Mr. Slant or something like that which
1: Did, uh, did you really fall for a fake Shefter tweet Andrew?
3: Was that was that a fake Shefter tweet?
1: It's what it sounds like. Um at least I, I s- that was,
3: was that I thought that was sent in the group as something legitimate. I saw the-,
1: the I saw the slant boy thing and I couldn't find it on Shefter's Twitter account. Uh, because it's not real, and why would Malcolm Jenkins call Michael Thomas slant boy? We know Malcolm Jenkins, Andrew. He wouldn't talk, he would just go for it.
2: I, I feel felt- <laughs> I felt- I felt- like <laughs>
3: Malcolm Jenkins hasn't stopped talking since the Saints won their last Super Bowl.
1: I, I, I think he would just fight Michael Thomas straight up. And his like, but that's what I'm saying. that's what but, it literally
3: sounded like. You got suspended for a fight. They were punching each other.
1: But I, much like Michael Thomas also hate the saints DBs. So I can't really blame him.
3: Yeah. But this isn't Kim Crawley or Jason David though. These appeared to be some of the ones that we actually like.
1: Yeah. there's, they're bad. I, look, I love Marshawn Lattimore. I was his Jersey. He's bad now.
3: <laughs> yeah. The, uh, well, all right. The, we we like to talk about transition points. Let's talk about bad secondaries, folks. I, I I know that might be a very random transition based on the college football that we watched this past weekend, but is there anything that y'all can recall that may have indicated poor secondary play?
2: Well, um Alabama scoring on all six drives in the second half. Touchdowns, not scoring, scoring touchdowns.
1: What was the what was the stat? I think um Roger Sherman, who's one of our, you know, spiritual heroes on the show. He tweeted, like, Alabama, there were 764 yards that Alabama could have gotten on Saturday, and they got all but 41 of them. They they fumbled on the opposing one-yard line, and they punted from the opposing 40, and they scored touchdowns every other drive.
3: I'm still not over Lane Kiffin fucking just... I've never seen a more bitch move as a college
2: football coach, and than,
1: than wearing a mask um, that were just uh, women's undergarments.
2: Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> I- Metcalf on it. Oddly enough, yeah. <laughs> hey, what did that wrong? That, that that thing blocked
3: coronavirus better than his secondary blocked anything uh, that Mac Jones was doing. But no, the. the uh, Actually, Rippy, I do want to get into this, though, because um, one, one friend of the program, Vegas Rebs, and Bunky Perkins were talking about this on Twitter. Lane Kiffin fucking gets ratings, dude. Like Lane Kiffin's football team, the ESPN came out that I think this was the, the highest-watched Alabama game since 2015 due to the aforementioned most boring dog shit football team of all time.
1: Oh, uh, that's not fair. 2016
2: Alabama was fun as shit, Andrew. And you know yeah. it yourself. Why he, no, he was hired? I mean, the the things the the phrase "splash hired" gets overused, but this is literally why he was hired. One, like, despite whatever you thought he might be as a head coach, Ole Miss was willing to take that risk of him blowing up as a head coach again. But there's no doubting he's a great offensive mind. And to your point, he gets ratings. That is why he was hired to a T. Yeah, I think that I, I think that um, he
3: and. It, when you're operating with a program like Ole Miss, like I, I don't want to say that you have nothing to lose because certainly I, I've operated from, uh, I would say, a position of college football privilege my entire life, just growing up in Baton Rouge and then going to Georgia. They're literally the only two teams since 2000 that I think have made a bowl game every single year. Um, but they, uh, they're, they're the two fan bases... Whenever things get bad, the some utterance, and I think that it's being uttered in, in Baton Rouge. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but. Oh, it, it can't get worse. It can't get worse. Like, gotta fire X, Y, or Z because it can't get worse than losing to uh, Mississippi State at home, or it can't get worse than uh, losing to Arkansas three years in a row, or whatever the fuck LSU ended up doing at the end of the last era. And I'm always sort of like quick to remind them, and I, I think that an Ole Miss supporter, fan, alum can touch on this: is like, it can get worse. Like the the floor is lower than you might anticipate, and I think that uh, LSU is looking at that because. I'm not fucking sure where on their schedule they're supposed to pick up wins, other than maybe Florida's entire team dying.
2: Yeah, I mean for Ole Miss though, it's it's I guess it's a little different because I don't think Georgia nor LSU have bottomed out the way Ole Miss's program has bottomed out multiple times since 2000. I mean I would say if you're talking about the floor of the floor, like everyone remembers in 2011, uh, LSU kneeling with three minutes left and all that. Well, I, I would point to another point in that season. They had four games left and they lost at Kentucky where they got absolutely just shit blitzed in the second half. And they fired Houston Nutt with three games to go, but had the brilliant idea of let him finish out the season, even though it was known he was fired. <laughs> and Tech Louisiana Tech came to Oxford the next week with I'm not shitting you, fifteen thousand people in the stands and won twenty seven to seven. And the game was never within more than less than two scores about seven minutes in. That would be old Mrs. Floor. So, like this whole no defense thing, they've been used to it for the last half decade. Like, th- this, is, this is closer to the ceiling than it is the floor, I would say, for Ole Miss people.
1: I, I say this as a fan, like, obviously not an Ole Miss fan, but just as a fan of watching football. Ole Miss, I do not know what the issue has been over the last six years. I am begging you, just recruit linebackers. I promise it's a good thing if you do it, it can't go wrong. You can only go up from there.
2: That's something Matt Luke got a little bit of credit for, for replenishing it to a respectable level, because that's where it really bottomed out is Hugh Freeze not recruiting a single linebacker for four years. But damn it, he got a six five-star receiver in Van Jefferson or whoever, four-star, whoever the hell it was. And it's like, actually, you don't need six of them. You probably need <laughs> a guy that can tackle But what's crazy about this, if you want to put a macro thought on the whole Kiffin thing, I know there was the whole sign stealing or whatever thing that I thought was a little lame. But like, man, you remember Ole Miss's 2014 defense was the best in college football. 2015 was the top 15-ish. If they can get half of that, they're going to be a bad team, bad program to mess with for a couple years. Like, their defense just not being atrocious and they have a chance in most games they're playing right now.
1: Yeah, it's all you have to do is just have a pulse. And obviously there was none on Ole Ole Miss' defense on Saturday night. But if they just decide, it's like, oh, hey, we are going to be resembling competence on defense right now, then, yeah, they're going to win eight to ten games a year if Lane Kiffin is still calling plays the way he has.
3: I mean, it's not dissimilar from what the Saints were dealing with in the middle of the Drew Brees era where it's like, all right, this offense is going to – put up 7,000 yards a season it's can the defense not give up 7,000 yards a season yeah if 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 you're gonna have the number two offense in the conference like if you can just have the number 10 defense and honestly sometimes it's like we could even do with the number 13 defense. It's just we can't have the worst defense by like several standard deviations.
2: Which is where Elvis is exactly at right now. <laughs> at defense in the SEC last year, their front seven to Mike McIntyre's. Credit. Pretty good, but that's what because, like, I think, I think Levy, excuse me, Durkin and Partridge is the code DC's whole goal here. Is they're going to do exactly what they do until they have the talent to do it, where. Uh, McIntyre's thing was like, hey, fix this and make us respectable, no matter like scheme wise, immediately. And so I think that's kind of the difference of what you're seeing right now. But yeah, it's, it, they're, they're the worst team by a lot of, a lot of deviations, maybe more than seven.
3: Well, okay. Okay. So, so I posted a question on Twitter and I would like for each of y'all to do your best version of it right now. Can y'all rank the defenses in the SEC West for me?
1: Ooh, uh, I feel like Auburn's won by default right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean, Auburn gave up 20 and I know they only gave up during the second half because Kirby, you know, just is stuck living in 1978. But I mean, they held quote unquote Georgia to 27, um, held an Arkansas offense that has a couple good players to 27. Um,
3: yeah, Auburn, right, of of Is it "quote unquote" holding Arkansas to 27 points, though? I don't know. Like, Felix- is Davis- it that allowing Felix- Arkansas to score 27? Felipe was
1: interesting- a four star. <laughs> <laughs>
3: ben- he-
2: who else are you putting up there? Bryce Ramsey was a four star KP. Yeah,
1: and no. <clears throat> Then he had to uh, work under Mike Bobo, so that's a whole other discussion.
2: But honestly, if you want to put the <laughs> clear cut number one, if you want to make the only argument you can make to Auburn is Mississippi State. State's defense, for the most part, has been awesome. Their offense has just been a teetotal disaster.
1: Yeah, Kentucky had what one hundred fifty yards of offense on Saturday.
3: Twenty-four to two is a a score from like. The football ether that will haunt Mississippi State fans forever. It's like, like it. I think I would rather lose twenty four nothing than twenty four two.
1: I forgot who tweeted this, but it's like they said twenty four to two was infinitely more embarrassing than twenty four nothing.
3: Yeah, it actually, <laughs> like like I remember vividly that what Florida State beat Florida one. One of the Florida Florida State games was like twenty seven to two within the past couple of years. And yeah, the only reason I remember that game is because I remember it being like impressive flaming dog shit.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, that I remember that twenty seven to two game, but it's and and it's not even that Mississippi State earned the two. I think Kentucky like muffed a punt snap. And yeah, that's how it all And they punted it backwards.
3: Hell yes. The, the uh so so speaking of um I mean we can get into the rest of the SEC defenses but the purpose of that question was um I mean if you I, I don't know what S P says about it right now but I, I can't imagine that there are many of the uh, SEC West defenses near the top fifty of college football I know seemingly half of college football hasn't played but sort of in any normal season what is happening at Ole Miss at Arkansas at at A and I mean. Bringing me to my point of at LSU, I just Googled uh, LSU football schedule, and the first people always ask is, is LSU football season canceled? Um, And so I think that there are uh, a lot of people near Vilplat whose cable may have cut out sometime in the last game, hoping that it simply just never comes back on.
1: (laughs) So how, how, in- how how bad is LSU, man? Because we've...
3: You know, where's the fucking floor here? Like, where... All right, uh, we, we will get into everything that is going on with Florida and Dan Mullen, but they go at Florida, Carolina, South Carolina at home, at Auburn, Bama at home, at Arkansas, at A&M, Ole Miss at home.
2: Who are they beating there?
3: That's literally... They have one win right now. I will... It doesn't matter if you win a national championship. A one and nine is worse than the best season. A one and nine season is bad. Better than the best season ever is good. I'm sorry.
2: It that's what turns it like everyone. I know the hot thing on the internet right now is the whole the Gene Chizik comparison. That's how you land in Chizik territory. Like you could probably, as bad as shit may be, survive a four and six if you really rapidly improve it next year. But like 1 and 9, don't you kind of enter the next season on like I mean it sounds absurd, but the hot seat. I mean you're at the David oh. 1 and 9. Oh, I no, mean, Chiswick went, like, what's went what's 8
1: what's... and Chiswick went 8 and 5 in 2011 and won a bowl game against the good Virginia team. Went 3 and 9 and got fired before he walked off the field in Tuscaloosa.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean like let's say that they end up playing this game in Gainesville. They're going – I, I don't see how they win. I, I, I mean, sure, they ended up losing to – or, or uh, what's their name's Uh and ended up beating them. But uh, Florida ended up still scoring, what, 38, 40 points? I, I don't see how LSU holds anyone that is not named Vanderbilt under 35 points this season. Wasn't that kid from
2: Missouri making his first start?
1: Yes. Yes, he was. Um I remember watching that game and just, you know, after the first wide open touchdown, it's like, oh, well, you know, I know LSU TV hasn't been good, but everyone has coverage busts. It happens, you know, even to the best of us. And then it happened like four more times. It's like, oh, no, they're just an atrocious football team right now. Yeah. (laughs) Which uh, I I take no pleasure in, personally.
3: uh, not. (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, I, I caught some flack from this from the LSU fans and, and some of our friends that, I mean, they were just appalled that we could have made a Gus Malzahn comparison to Ed Orgeron. But as you might have heard Rippy just now, we might move have moved into Gene Chizik territory. <laughs> I, I mean, because unless we are just going to here's, – here's my slight issue with what we do with, with a lot of these things is – we focus on program pedigree in, in in the face of all evidence. Like we look at it and we say, "Oh, it's LSU; they'll be fine." In the face of them giving up a combined ninety-six points in their first three games, and that includes when they held Vanderbilt to seven.
2: I just, I mean, this is what it comes down to because their their offense isn't great, but Brennan is fine, right? Like you know, yeah. five and a half, six out of ten. He's Matt fun. He's, he's Matt fun. Yeah, but <laughs> fine, fine with the worst defense in the conference is what you're getting now. Why Bo Pelini? What? I don't understand that, and it kind of flew under the radar because so much is made of what they lost. Why? What is? The, what was the justification? So
1: I, I, I can't ex- explain what the thought process even might have been. I, I know I wrote a piece a few years ago about you know. How Ed Orgeron basically is Les Miles, that like they fired Les Miles just to get a younger, more energetic version of him. And, you know, the Les Miles thing worked when you made good hires, but Ed Orgeron just hired Bo Pelini in the year of our Lord 2020. So, you know, you, you yeah, this is what happens when you do that.
3: My biggest, my biggest question about the entire Bolton thing is because I just found out. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware. The man has a seven plus million dollar buyout, um, and so I guess what I'm wondering here is, who the fuck were you bidding against? The guy was at Youngstown State. The only reason that he was going to get hired at LSU is because he had seen some success here, and he and Ogeron were friends. Why the fuck do you have to pay this guy top-level coordinator money when he clearly, one, isn't worth it, and two, probably would have taken half of it if you would have offered it to him?
1: Nebraska firing Pellini, um when they did, and why they did, it's look, you can say all you want, you know, oh, we fired him because the standard at Nebraska is higher. It's like, no, he he's an asshole. and that And that's the thing. You know, these coaches get hired questionably, and normally it's because they're nice guys, right? Like I think St- Steve Insminger from LSU is a wonderful man. Uh, he hasn't done anything to be, you know, a, I think Andrew, we looked at his record earlier, like his track record. I mean, he probably shouldn't be a power five offensive coordinator right now, but he's so nice. But Pelini's doing
2: worse and is like 10 times as much of an asshole as Ensminger is. And you mentioned, Stephen, do you mention that, that he was having success at Youngstown State? He has that one year where they get to the FCS national title game where they're at twelve and four. But I mean, looking it up right now, his record in the other four seasons: five and six, six and five, four and seven, six and six. The man's consistent, if
3: if not anything.
1: But you know who his university president was?
3: Fucking Jim Tressel.
1: Yes, Mr. James (laughs) Tressel. That's
2: sweater vest.
3: Which, which, I mean, I think that we need to do um, – I've been thinking about this for a while. Some, Maybe we call it like a relearner series, but like all of these figures in sports and speci- specifically college football just because the way that the, I guess, non-payment structure functions, that like we were told were bad growing up or like that were like this person is wrong because they broke the rules even though the rules are fucking – Made up and stupid And I, I feel like Jim Tressel is one of these guys Where it's like My man turned a blind eye to guys getting free tattoos And we just raked him over the fucking coals <laughs> That's like that's what, that's what we did Black Torch on Perkins, Perkins Ro- or, or, or on Perkins Road was, was giving Tyron Matthews Some free tattoos so Les Miles had to go Fucking pop him out back Come on I mean like it doesn't happen at any other program
1: Free tattoos. It's like, I mean, we've talked about the heinous stuff other programs have done over the years. Like the Ohio State thing, like that's not even a, it's a story for like two days if that happens now. And then we forget about it because it's free tattoos.
2: And that's what, that's a great point. Because if you remember back in the day, that was like wall-to-wall coverage depending on the day. (laughs) that news. It's like, come on, who cares?
1: You you know, like when you're at home. From school, and you just watch all of ESPN, and it's like, all right, cool. I've got the 11 a.m. Sports Center, and then I've got, you know, Around the Horn, then Highly Questionable, then, you know, PTI. And it's like, you start memorizing all their talking points. It's like, that's what that was. Every day, what Tattoo Gate, <laughs> every show would spend 15 minutes talking about Ohio State players getting free tattoos. Can you imagine that today?
2: Was it Troy's? That was a that was Troy Smith era, right? No, this is Terrell Pryor. That's right. That's right, Terrell Pryor. Yeah, yeah,
3: everyone,
2: dude, everyone. Like he got such a bad rap
3: too. Like, like there are all of these, all of these college athletes that that we just castigate as bad people or or uh, tro- looking to game the system when it's like. Every single goddamn one of us would do the exact same thing. We just don't have the leverage.
2: And there was there was it was a financial compensation aspect of it, right? They were trading in memorabilia for yeah, tattoos, yeah. right? Which is under yeah. I mean that underscores how messed up every the system is. But back then it was more about them doing it than can you believe these dudes have to trade in memorabilia just to get a damn tattoo?
3: Yeah, and um the uh, KB and I were reading something a little bit earlier about apparently there's something some article that Dellinger and, and Pat Forty wrote about the name, name, image and likeness stuff apparently about to break uh, coming sometime soon. And so I'm sure I'm sure there will be some this is too good to be true. There has to be some like we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate approved sponsors by the school and they're able to take some sort of cut but like at least it it seems like when when we've talked about shifting the Overton window in college football that like all of this push for revenue split and revenue sharing has just moved the conversation into like well, yeah, no, no goddamn fucking shit you're not going to prevent the kid from having a YouTube channel reviewing fucking different brands of pasta if he wants to have that and make money off of it. Like, the, these are the dumbest things that you could possibly try and litigate now when you are I- I- inevitably dealing with like live rights deals coming up, uh, health insurance coming up, players trying to unionize. Like, these are the chum that you'll throw in the water to just say, satiate the masses for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It 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 kind of feels like the NCAA just like throwing, you know those you know those TV shows where the completely horrible guy just throws change at a homeless person. That that that's what this feels like. with the NCAA. Like yeah, sh- Roman sure. Roy. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's yeah, <laughs> he's Roman Roy. The NCAA is Roman Roy. It's like <laughs> here, take it. Fine, whatever and it's like they're a admitting that okay maybe you guys actually do have some monetary value but b it's like we're gonna be in control of how that value is you know expressed and like how much you can actually make off of it and it's like there's rules about having agents or whatnot and um you know you're not to make uh x amount of dollars over whatever market value for the services and it's just it's a way for the NCAA to still make money off of the athletes. It's just that the athletes are getting a little bit on top of it, which look, I don't know. I, I still think we should kidnap Mark Emmert, but that's another discussion. Ooh.
3: Yeah. I think that that would, uh, we we don't have, I've been very, very um, over quarantine, really trying to control what you can control. And, I don't think anyone says that we can't control whether or not we kidnap Mark Emmert, and so th- th- this seems something that is well within our power.
1: Yeah, Indianapolis isn't far, you know.
2: No road trip will expense it. Throw it in the armchair. <laughs> he would probably tell you about how his office will personally prosecute you while you're doing it, even though he has absolutely no jurisdiction to do so.
3: Yeah, I was about to say we're going to go to we're going to go to NCA uh, Kangaroo Court. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: We just wait until the committee on infractions hears about this one, boys. Y'all are fucked. I was about to say, I'm never going to be able to play football at Ole Man. I'll never financially recover from this.
3: I will never financially recover. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. I, I,
1: I, Remember Tiger King?
3: <laughs> man. I, really, like, I really don't. It really, it, I got fucked up the other day because I was watching the finale of The Boys, and it dawned on me that I had watched the first season in quarantine already, and it wasn't last year that I, I had caught up on it. And so um, that, that would be a real number on my psyche and, and grasp <laughs> on sort of the, the fabric of reality to which we cling.
2: Hey, Someone hey, in the office was talking about Ky- Tiger King the other day. If we were not in a global pandemic and coronavirus did not exist, and we were on with our lives as normal, if someone described you the plot of Tiger King, would you watch it? No way in hell. No I way. think my answer is no. Maybe you're into the weird stuff, and I know I, I don't mean that as like, what are you into? Like, maybe like the, the whole bizarre weirdness of shit like that fascinates you, but I would be like, I don't have time for this. Hey, I mean, hey
1: do you guys do you guys think Carol Baskin killed her husband?
3: <laughs> Katie <Kpen> and, <laughs> and I grew up in Baton Rouge where One mile away from where I'm sitting right now, there is a live tiger roaming around a habitat and some odd 15 miles down the road, there is a gas station screaming at LSU and um, PETA activists that they treat their gas station tiger humanely. And so Tiger King, I I would just have to say is like par for the course for like Tuesday in, in the early aughts in Louisiana.
2: That might have been the lowest moment of the pandemic, because not only that, you have the president asking if he's asked asked at a press conference a month after that comes out if he's considering clemency for Joe Exotic.
3: They knew, and by they, I mean whatever doctors that that have uh, been tasked to work with him, but they have nuked that man's cognitive ability to keep him alive. The dude just goes out on stage now and vibes for 15 minutes off of some combination of, like, uncut MDMA and rims veneer or whatever the fuck the guy's put on. I mean, they have this guy on experimental steroids and just pure uncut cocaine.
1: Speaking of pure uncut cocaine, the state of Florida uh, recently said oh, that yeah. – recent, recently um, approved – Full football stadiums. Uh, now, a lot of people, uh, now a lot of entities have said, no, we're still going to continue you know, with our social distancing plan. Um, I, I say that to say this. Florida coach Dan Mullen um, had to use a timeout because of the apparently 25% Kyle Field at Texas A&M was a little too loud for them. Dan Mullen called for his university president to ease the CDC restrictions and pack the swamp, uh, you know I'm sure it's only a coincidence that today Florida, you know, had 19 players test positive for COVID. Uh, so, folks, I don't this, this is kind of malpractice on Den Mullins' part, right? Calling for a full stadium and then having 19 positives, like all in the same 48 hour stretch.
3: Do you know how much of a Bitch, you have to be to (laughs) say that a stadium with one fourth capacity after coaching in the SEC for 15 years is what rattled your fans. Like, imagine that. Imagine if we were operating in a normal world where for some reason. Texas a and I don't know maybe a fucking maybe we're all blessed and a meteor hits the the west side of Texas or something and they actually only end up putting 25% like imagine if a real game in a non-pandemic at Kyle Field only had 25,000 people there and Dan Mullen after losing the game came out and said shit that crowd really got us they were they were really loud out there I don't know what to do I've coached in I've coached where they've literally had to outlaw artificial noisemakers but those those screaming septuagenarians in the middle of Texas really fucked with us.
2: This is so perfect, Dan Mullen. And the second, the third, second to last thing you said is why It's like he had he coached it nine years at Mississippi State, where uh, to to their credit, them laying a lot to do that is the loudest thing I have ever heard in a public setting, concerts included. When that place is sold out and they're ringing those damn things, it's deafening. And he's complaining about that. Did any of y'all, by the way, see the play? That, that Did you see this happen live? Uh, no, I didn't watch it live. Yeah. I was watching so – um, by myself in my house with the volume on. So about as isolated as you can get for it. And I remember the play because I was remember sitting there thinking like, like, oh, there are fans in the stands. Like, actually, this is kind of cool. Just because you could hear the crowd noise on television – not like and it, but it was nothing out of the ordinary in terms of like needing to call a timeout. I mean, how you could still hear the players talking on the field and like, but it was, really, it was a moment where you're like, oh, like you kind of forgot that you know the world isn't normal for a second. You can hear fans yelling, but the fact that's so on brand Dan Mullen to complain about it and then one say, well, I hope we get this advantage. Like fuck off. Yeah. I, I- <laughs>
3: I think that it, one thing that is has become clear and, and this isn't just because I hate everything about the University of Florida with like all of my being but like no matter how many Yeezy shoes that you want to have and like rap lyrics that you want to quote and like how many times that you want to say swag at SEC media days like it comes across pretty plainly that you suck shit. Dan Mullen. Like, like like I think that it's been pretty easy over the past couple of years to parse through all of the like I'm the cool young fun uncle coach bullshit like Dan Mullen sucks ass dude like top to bottom
1: yeah I, I don't hate Florida like you do Andrew so I'm not gonna say he sucks ass top to bottom and also don't hate Mississippi State like you do rep so I'm coming at this from a slightly more neutral place uh I just don't I just don't think Dan Mullen's as good a coach as he thinks he is. Um, that's kind of I'm what
3: I, even, he's a fine coach. He just sucks shit as a person. Like as a human being, I, I don't think there's much to Dan Mullen. And after all of this, it, it's pretty clear that he doesn't give a shit about any of these kids, and that they are. There is pawns in, in whatever fucking game he's playing.
2: No, that's why it's a recruit because of his basic mode. And he's a good football coach, like great exes and those guys. But his, his root is he's an asshole. And like, there's not even a whole lot he can do about it. And he can like embrace it almost sometimes. But like, that's who he is. Like, base level stripped down, he's an asshole. And like, it comes out in moments like these. And what's weird about Mullen is like, uh- He's really gone,
3: And I think this is why he's gone so far the other way and like trying to become relatable and cool is like he can't figure out whether he wants to be the cool like player friendly coach or if he wants to be that like stalwart asshole. And so as opposed to finding something in the middle, he just like flip flops between these extremes and he just comes off as extremely inconsistent.
1: That's that's a pretty good description, there, Andrew. I've, I've got no arguments against that. Uh, but if anyone was going to call for a f- full capacity stadium, it was always going to be the head coach at the University of Florida. I mean, that, that's just destiny at this point.
2: And his governor's yeah. just egging it on, like he's giving him the the leeway to to the opening to kind of squeeze the take in there. I was about to say, I, Urban Meyer
3: and and Will Muschamp walked, so so Dan Mullen could run <laughs> with it. <the players. laughs>
1: <laughs> and Jim McElwain is just in the corner by himself. This Jim McElwain,
3: <laughs> offshore fucking a shark somewhere. Which I was about to say, this, probably this administering this steroids. Season, this coronavirus, yeah. This season, I think it. Uh, he might, he might be looking as the the sane one right now.
2: Where is he actually? Central, uh, Central Michigan, right? And then a couple of the Central Michigan, oh, right? Last year, got busted for roids. Hmm.
3: That rules. I'm 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 notoriously pro steroids on this podcast. Um, That's actually actually chalking another one up in in Jim McElwain's book, although Georgia couldn't uh, do. Actually, uh, I want to say it was that Georgia game that the forty two to seven one that ended up putting the final nail in the McElwain coffin. Um, But KP, do do we have to talk about uh, the elephant in the room? And by the elephant, I mean y'all's dumb as shit, stupid fucking mascot, you bitch, because it's I, game week. I
1: was gonna say uh the elephant in the room was my hometown, Texas Longhorns, losing in oh. losing in quadruple overtime to um the hated neighbors to the north, Oklahoma.
3: Which the and uh, my hometown bat, uh my my LSU Tigers, uh <laughs> <laughs> dropping a lovely game uh, up in Columbia. But, yeah, te- Texas looked like impressive dog shit.
2: Yeah, uh, Was there ever – not to switch gears completely, but, see, but was there ever a moment Saturday in Georgia-Tennessee where you were like, oh, shit, like, uh-oh. What, what, uh-oh like, like, up until like six minutes left. Okay. That game you know, like, I mean, was an aggressively blown cover by Tennessee just – in case anyone was wondering but like you got the goal line stand before halftime and they go forward i'm like they actually about to do this because you felt like georgia was still the better team but like can they hold on and the answer was quickly and emphatically no And, and that's the problem with all of those games is because like
3: georgia does this all the time but they also fuck it up just enough to leave the doubt in your mind every single game that like oh, this is just going to be that that South Carolina game every year where we just decide on every single third or fourth and one that we don't have the capability to move the ball 36 inches, even though we have invested in nothing but offensive linemen in the bag-dropping game for a decade now. Um, and so, yeah, the, I, Georgia's offense doesn't move the ball with enough consistency for me to ever feel confident about – a lead a a close game if you will or a game that we're going to play ugly just because like even some of like the Chad Kelly teams or the LSU team last year or any team that the the Bama teams post Kiffin you just always feel like you're going to be able to move the ball to even like make that ugly game that another team might get up let's say I, I don't know 24 to 10 on it's like this game is going to be forty-four to twenty-seven, Bama, just because they're going to be able to score enough like that. Mm-hmm. Georgia doesn't have the offensive firepower to where, if the defense, if the offense, like they do in snapping the ball over their head and, and allowing Tennessee to score like that, or, or the defense gives up um, like a. a-, a- busted coverage like it wasn't a busted coverage but after we got stopped on third and one they threw like a 35-yard bomb like little things like that happen and it's like shit if you get down two touchdowns I don't know if I trust this offense like I would trust the offense from another team and so I know this is an extremely long-winded point but this is one of the first like one of the three only three times in the last like 50 years that the number one s offense and the number one s defense have played, and five out of the last six times the number one defense has played, with the exception being last year when LSU kicked the shit out of Georgia. And so I'm extremely nervous from the sense that I don't foresee Georgia, unless they play a perfect game, like field positionally and special teams-wise and defensively, that the offense is going to be able to do enough to keep up. So that's my whole long-winded fucking point about why I'm going to be shit in my pants starting now.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't – I mean, I I really do not want to get overconfident about this game at all um, should you know a clip from this podcast be uh, sprung to the masses. But I, I do think that Georgia just can't keep up with Alabama offensively. I do think Georgia's got one of the best defenses we've seen in college football and, you know, quite some time, but I mean, it's 2020 that can only take you so far. I do think that they'll get a bunch of big stops, but I don't know, man, if Bama just gets hot for two drives and all of a sudden it's 14, three, I'm not sure if Georgia climbs out of a hole like
3: that. Yeah, I know. And and the annoying part about Georgia is like, they have, I, I, my largest annoyance in the entire Kirby smart era is this weird, Idea that I think Kirby thinks that uh, draining six minutes off of the clock and not scoring is better than scoring in a minute and letting the other team get the ball back. Um, I, I just don't that there is some weird uh, calcified mid to early two thousand or I guess mid two thousands to late aughts Nick Saban that will never get out of his brain, and that all we need to do is score twenty one points and the defense will do the rest when it's just no longer the world that we mildly operate in.
2: But I saw a stat today, and, like, I guess the devil's advocate to this would be – if the stat was something, like, when the nation's number one offense and the nation's number one defense face off, like, the defense – like, the the, the team with the nation's number one defense is, like, five and two. Like, where's the world where Georgia wins this?
3: I would – so I think the world in which Georgia wins – I'll say this – I just based on the game being on the road, I do not foresee a scenario in which Georgia does not win the turnover battle and wins this And so like that's kind of that that's kind of been my annoyance with this is this Georgia team is good enough to beat this Alabama team and I know that that might seem uh, it might seem redundant based on the way that the two teams have played in the past but uh, as a supporter of the team that has, been leading in the vast majority of those games. They're still not games where I thought Georgia was the better team. I thought they came in, especially in the national championship, with a—I mean, not the national championship, the SEC championship against Tua, um, with a very good game plan, and I think they executed on that. But it it was never a situation where I went into it saying, I think the better team is currently winning right now. I think in both those games, the better team ended up inevitably winning. But the annoying one about this is, I think it's enough of a toss-up to where it's like, yeah, like if if Alabama like has a bad snap, like if there's a misread on a handoff between Mac Jones and Najee, and the ball happens to bounce towards Georgia and not Alabama, or like Mac makes one bad read and we good, we get a good break on it, like like I think the margins are just so slim in this type of game that I don't see any way to like reasonably predict and it's not like i can't reasonably predict a way that georgia wins this other than like yeah the bounces that any team that would win a close game just happens to fall towards us but that concept seems so goddamn foreign when playing alabama
2: i think georgia's got more of a shot because if the defense is frustrating alabama that bad offensively like I don't think Alabama necessarily is going to stop Georgia that often. I mean, how old Miss was running for like six and a half of pop through three quarters. Yeah
3: that that was that was the biggest thing that that has concerned me about the Georgia game or the, the Tennessee game was Zamir White just doesn't look like the number one running back that we have had in the past. I mean, we nope. we've been extremely pampered since. Uh, it's been a while, but I would really say the beginning of the girly era was has kind of been Georgia, since 2012, they haven't not had a top five running back in the country, starting pretty much the entirety of, of maybe the... I mean, no, yeah, the, since 2012, there's been a top five running back on, on every single team. Maybe not healthy at the time, but definitely on the roster, and so... Zamir White, right now, they got Kenny McIntosh and they got um, Kendall Milton and James Cook has been hurt. And so I think there's enough variability there, but like there is not that, there is not a single player on that team that I would trust in a third and two right now. Like I know Bama's defense is what it is, but there's still enough talent on Bama's defense to where I, I just don't know who we're going to line up and give the ball to when we absolutely need to get those third shorts.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that I would be most concerned about if I were you, Andrew, is the fact that Bama's defense isn't going to play that poorly two weeks in a row. It's, you know, it, it, if Bama has just like a bedwetting game on defense every year, but it, it normally doesn't happen twice in a row. Uh, so that's that's what I'd be concerned about if I were you. But I don't know, it's going to be a great game. I'm hopefully going to be intoxicated for it, so I don't really remember the details. Um Just you know, I just want the euphoria or the sadness. Just give me one of the two, and then let me go to bed thirty minutes after the game ends.
3: Yeah, um, I, I I really uh, this really is one of those games where I'm getting pissed off, and I put this on Twitter because the last Georgia Tennessee game, the second half they played well enough to where I think they finally fucking hooked me. Like, I think there was something at the end of that game where it was like, God damn it, this stupid fucking fake season is actually means something emotionally to me now, and I knew it was going to happen this way. I knew that it, it was going to align to where we were going to play just well enough that I was going to sell myself that before the Bama game, something real might actually happen, and then we're going to go out there and just fucking get our – Ass drug all over the ground.
1: Yeah, Andrew. What happens if it's thirty-one nothing at halftime again, like it was in the blackout? What do, What do you I mean, do? Do you just walk into the Mississippi River?
3: No, I'm just going to start doing harder core drugs than I was doing during the game to try to make myself <laughs> feel good. No, we're doing we are doing downers. Um, if if it gets to thirty-one nothing. Okay. Yeah. I. I. I, I I'll say this: if we get beat, if it's thirty-one nothing at halftime, I'm out on the year. Like that—that that is enough. Like that is my own personal fifteen and zero. Joe Burrow winning the Heisman to one and nine uh, drop off that I'll need to completely check out for the rest of the season. Um, because th- that's going to be one where even if we beat Florida, um, my talking points will be fake season. It doesn't matter. We should have never done this in the first place. So I just want to get that straight.
1: Switching gears slightly, uh, Rip, I do want to talk about Ole Miss playing Arkansas this week, uh, and it's weird to call something a trap game after you lose. But this is a trap game for Ole Miss, right?
2: I, yeah, sort of in a way. I would. I don't even know. Like. Like at the beginning of the season, would have answered yes because in all likelihood, with the way the schedule looked, like if you don't go beat Kentucky, you're staring zero and four in the face. If you don't go beat this fledgling Arkansas team, but they're not really fledgling at all anymore, right? Like they look very good. They should have won that game at Auburn. They got absolutely royally screwed on that fumble that wasn't called a fumble or whatever towards the end at the very end of that game. They're a good program. I would say it's a huge springboard game at this point because you look at Ole Miss's schedule. They've got Auburn at home the next week, then they go to Vanderbilt, and then they have South Carolina at home before finishing the year with LSU at a and Mississippi State. Is there one game on that schedule, I would say maybe at a and maybe if you're making the case, is there one game Ole Miss absolutely cannot win? no there's
1: not they're they're capable of winning every game
2: on the road and beat arkansas then like what are your expectations so like i would say this is a huge springboard game in the sense that like if you're going to cash in on this fake season and some momentum for kiffin if you can go win that you got a chance to reel off a couple i mean it sets up a really fascinating matchup the next week against auburn and if you've beaten those two teams back to back you're surely going to beat vandy and south carolina like they got a real shot here. So I would say it's elevated from trap game to real opportunity. But to your point, it's kind of a trap in the sense where, like, if you go up there and lose it, you're 1-3. in three, And despite how fun your offense is, you've kind of eroded all the goodwill you've built up, fairly or unfairly.
3: I like that we are using all of our media buzzwords, like trap game, springboard game, uh, I, think if, I think if they lose, we're going to get into must-win territory. Um, um, no, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued because um, I was talking about this with uh, – I went on the Bosco's Boys podcast, which is Armchair's Kansas State show, um, and, and this is sort of a, a parallel with Pittman. I, I'm always intrigued about the coaches that you hire that have come from places that – Um, Whether it is a coordinator that has come from a winning program um, or or even a coach like Pittman or like a guy like Kleiman who has come from um, an FCS powerhouse, sort of not your traditional like coach at the who went nine and three at the AAC school or the big time coordinator at, at wherever, like some of these unconventional paths because They seem to be establishing, and I know we're we're talking more buzzwords, Uh, I'm going to bring in the C word, which is culture, Um, like guys that are around programs that know how to win regardless of sort of the level that they are at or even their involvement at that level. I mean, like Pittman was no more than an offensive line coach at Georgia, like, I think there might be more value to that than going and getting the quote unquote hot commodity name who have may have just had a a hot season or two or a hot run of 15 games. Like I think there is something like, like some real validity in establishing something from a guy that has won in multiple places. Now this might spit in the face of the Lane Kiffin theory here, but like, what do y'all, what what are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean,
1: Lane Kiffin, Coached three SEC offensive players of the year and learned under Nick Saber for three years. And then he went and won two Sunbelt or Conference USA titles at Ford Atlantic. So it's like Lane's successful now as a head coach more so than he was at USC because he's got experience, you know, with, with actual keys, you know, to the cars that he was a part of. Whereas when he was at USC, I don't know, maybe he was more hands off under Pete Carroll. But it I mean Saban and Dablo are completely different coaches, right? But they both have one skill, and that is just like organizational structure. They know how to put organizations together and how to put people together. And yeah, know, they're both CEOs. what you say?
3: They're, I mean, they're both CEOs, like from like exactly, a, a, yeah. the truest sense of the word. Like
1: Yeah, and Kirby's doing the same the thing.
3: It's active business, yeah.
1: So it's that's I I God, I hate the phrase running X like a business but i mean the best coaches do it whether or not they actually write the game plans whether or not they're calling the plays if it's running like you know a high-performing company then you're going to see those results play out on the field and that's kind of what lane's doing now
2: so you know who would have been better off hiring the up-and-coming coordinator for a coordinator position who's that state tigers (laughs) I
1: think, I think that's a great place for us to uh, in this week's episode, folks. Thanks again for listening to Banjo CFB. I'm Kevin Paul. Uh, that is Andrew Steven and Brian Rippey. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Banjo underscore CFB. Uh, we'll see you guys soon. Peace.
2: Okay. At, this pace,
3: at this pace of recording, uh, I think by Banjo 19, LSU might be 1 and 9.